Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast with Zach Bitter. All right, folks, welcome back to another episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast. I am coming to you today with a solo episode. So uh, following kind of the trends with the solo episodes, they are mostly dedicated towards kind of listener-driven questions and topics that get sent to me throughout the week. And I usually focus on about three of them. So I've got three coming to you today. They are revolving around some of the preparation that I do kind of before a big run or workout, what I like to eat before and after, and then during that sort of stuff. Uh, Also like uh, one question with like an older runner coming back from injury, what's kind of like a good protocol to follow to make sure you have a successful return And then finally, another one that has to do with a really cool project, uh, an attempt to deadlift 500 pounds and run 50 miles all in the same day. So we're going to dive into those here in a minute. And then for this this, uh, solo episode, I also put together a sample day where I highlight the workouts and what I ate that day. The goal with these are to kind of over the course of time, have a fairly wide variety of different days during the year for me and kind of highlight what I do during those days, as well as what I eat to supplement them. And one of the reasons why I like that is because it does get a little polarizing given what I do. Uh, A lot of folks probably try to structure their days to be somewhat similar in terms of what they eat and do. But when you're training for endurance races, there are going to be big training days and there's going to be rest days. And those just tend to be kind of two different ends of the spectrum in terms of what you're asking your body to do. So there gets to be a lot of variety. And sometimes I think people will get a little bit confused when they ask what I eat or what I do in a day, because it changes a lot. So I'll highlight one of those at the end of the episode. Uh, before we get rolling though, just a couple quick announcements. One is if you haven't checked out the episode, I just recently released, uh, with Matt Vincent. I highly recommend checking that one out. Matt and I sat down in person for a couple hours while he was visiting in Austin here. And we talked about all sorts of stuff. I mean, he's just got such an interesting story. He was a, uh, a track and field athlete at LSU in college and through shot put, discus, and hammer. And that kind of translated into a career at the Highland Games. Uh, for those of you who've been listening to the show for quite a long time, you'll probably remember us talking about the Highland Games a little bit back when Dr. Baker was here as he competed in the Highland Games once upon a time, amongst many other things that he's done in the sports world. And it was cool to talk to Matt and hear his perspective around it and just hear what it was like, because his story is really unique in the sense that he got out to a hot start. He won it two years in a row and then was runner up two years after that. He ultimately ended up getting a knee injury that he thought would end up being a bit of a just a kind of a bump in the road. He actually competed with a, uh, I think he, like he, I think if if I remember right, his ACL was removed and he was still able to compete or it was partially torn or something like that. Uh, anyway, eventually he went, got around to getting surgery on it, ended up going from just one procedure to ultimately eight that ended in a total knee replacement on that eighth one. So his entire life basically got flipped on it on his head for the better part of two to three years as he kind of navigated those eight surgeries and kind of figuring out what he wanted to do. 
Uh, you went from a world-class athlete to someone who could barely get up and down on some stairs for a while, which, uh, as anyone can imagine, is going to be an incredibly frustrating situation to be in. So I was really interested to hear his mindset because he's a very positive person. He's a very forward thinking guy. And I thought, uh, even for those of you who like to tune in to more of the running specific episodes that I do, I think this one would be a great one to check out if you want to really dial in mindset and really get a glimpse into, you know, a strong mindset and what will kind of help you punch through those final stages of an ultra marathon, if that's what you're training for. Um, also for those of you who are interested in kind of getting some snapshots of the episodes before listening to it, I've been much more consistent recently with putting up mini clips from each episode on the HPO podcast, YouTube channel. So if you want to just kind of get an overlay of some of the topics we hit and then check out a couple of them before you dive in and commit to a full two hour episode, like the one I did with Matt, then YouTube is a good spot to kind of get a glimpse at that. So head over there. Uh, if you do use YouTube, I would, uh, ask that you like subscribe and share those. If you can, uh, one of my goals this year is to try to grow the YouTube channel, the video side of the podcast a little bit. So if you happen to enjoy that platform, uh, swing over and check out the page and let me know what you think. Um, next is, uh, just a quick shout out to, uh, the sponsor of this episode is my friends at element, uh, element makes an electrolyte supplement. They come in these easy to use single serving packets. I like to mix one packet with approximately two liters worth of water or liquid as kind of the blend that works well for me. And with one packet, you get a thousand milligrams of sodium, 200 milligrams of potassium and 60 milligrams of magnesium. Uh, I really enjoy their chocolate flavor in my coffee in the morning. It mixes in really, really nicely. And it's a great way to start out my day before I head out for a run. Element is offering you a trial right now if you want to check it out. So you can get eight sample packs for the cost of shipping, which is $5. If you head over to drink element, that's drinklmnt.com forward slash HPO. With all the HPO show sponsors, uh, if you want to support the show by checking out any of those, you can find a list of them, the links, and any discounts that they offer at zackbetter.com forward slash HPO sponsors. Also, if you want to support the show through a different mode, there are ways to donate on my website at zachbetter.com forward slash HPO. Two main ones are an at once click button that you can do, or you can go through the show's Patreon page, which will give you access to early release episodes as well as ad-free episodes. So uh, if you're looking for that, Patreon is probably the way to go. If you just want to support the show monetarily, the one-click option on my website is, is probably the best way to go about that. Um, Awesome. If you enjoy this episode or any of the other ones, please uh, like, subscribe, share with your friends and family. So it helps me grow it and spread the word around uh, the topics that we talk about here at, on the HPO podcast. Uh, but that is that. And now let's dive into some of the questions around this episode. So the first one came in, I believe on Twitter from Alex and Alex wanted to know what preparation do you do for a great run? What's your diet like before, or after running, and what do you eat or drink during the run? So I think Alex is referring to just a training run here and not necessarily a race. 
Although when I'm doing some of my longer efforts near the end of a training plan, I do oftentimes try to mimic race day settings quite a bit. Granted, I'm not going to go and run hundred miles in a training run. Like I would, if I'm racing that, but I will do things like structure back-to-back long runs where maybe I'm out there running for three to five hours on two days in a row. And if I'm getting close to the race, I may be practicing my race day fueling strategy and things like that so that I can really run a, a, a test run of that before I do it on the race itself. But I'm going to just assume that Alex is referring to kind of like a typical, like big workout one that is kind of a, uh, a cornerstone one more or less for, for a training that I'm for the training I'm doing and kind of what do I do around that to be ready for it. So some of the preparation I do is usually when I I'll do the majority of my key workouts in the morning. So I'll wake up and I'll spend about an hour, hour and a half, uh, before I head out the door, usually, you know, answering emails or things like that. And just kind of generally waking up and, uh, getting myself ready to go. Uh, recently I've been doing a little more kind of pre-run warmups to just get things kind of firing the way I want to. And those involve usually just kind of a round of like tibialis raises, um, wall supported calf raises, bent knee calf raises. I'll do some light foam rolling. If there's any area that's a little stiff or a little tight from whatever I had done previously, uh, some dynamic movements like leg raises, leg swings, things like that, just more or less some general lower impact movement to kind of warm up and fire up the muscles. And then, then I'll head out the door for that. Uh, in terms of what I eat before, I don't generally eat a ton before a run in the morning, unless I wake up really hungry. If I wake up really hungry, sometimes I'll, I'll cook a meal and then wait a little longer before I head out. But, uh, generally speaking, I'll have mostly liquid calories and not a lot before I head out. I like to do my workouts on an empty stomach. If the workout gets long enough and I feel like I need some fuel during it, I'll, I'll bring something along, but more often than not, it's something like a cup of coffee, maybe some cream or milk in there, maybe a little bit of honey. Uh, but generally speaking, not much more than that. Uh, sometimes I'll put a scoop of, uh, S fields life powder in there. Uh, if I want to get a little extra calories heading out, if I feel like I'm going to have a big energy expenditure day and I'm not going to be able to catch up on it through my meals later on. And usually a scenario where I'm adding more fuel before the run than normal is when I'll have like kind of two bigger days in a row. And I just know it's going to be tough to stay on top of energy demands over the course of two days versus one single one followed by a rest day where it's a little easier to kind of make up a calorie deficit on the second day, in, in my opinion. Uh, after the run is where I'll usually have one of my bigger meals of the day. So the way I like to structure my meals generally is I'll have two really big meals during the day. One's usually like mid to late morning and one's kind of, uh, early to mid evening. And I'll build those up about as big as I can tolerate without feeling like I'm too full after them. And then if I'm in a training phase where I need more energy than that, that's when I'll add a third meal or some snacks and things like that. So after my morning session is usually where I'll have one of those first big meals of the day. And what my diet looks like just depends on what I'm, what I'm doing. It, context is everything with a sport where you may be doing short intervals at one part of the year, and you may be developing a back-to-back long run in another phase. So if I'm doing something a little more high intensity, I'll have a little more carbohydrate than I normally would after that first run, I just see that as the best time to kind of maybe replace some of that, especially if the workout was a little more glycolytic than what I'd be doing on race day historically. So 
that will usually be from a carb source. Usually I'll lean heavily on things like potatoes, berries, melons, fruits in general are oftentimes, uh, something that I'll turn to honey. I'll do a fair bit of as kind of a post-run carbohydrate source. Uh, I'll also, uh, sometimes sprinkle in some sourdough bread. That one's probably the more rare one. If I'm going to use any sourdough bread during a race, which isn't entirely uncommon, I do like to blend a combination of kind of sports projects that I'll use, which is usually race plus by S fuels, and then some solid food options just to help with digestion a little bit. So sometimes I will do some sourdough bread during a race. Uh, and if I am going to plan that into the race structure, I'll usually bring some of that back as some of my carbohydrate source when I'm getting closer to the race, just so that I know that my body's kind of used to digesting that product specifically, uh, during the runs will really just depend. Uh, usually I'm not doing a whole lot of fueling during runs outside of water and electrolytes. Uh, but when I do, I'll usually do or practice what I'm going to be doing on a race day. So kind of, like I said, a combination of different types of, um, different types of sports products and solid foods. So if I'm trying to do a run where I'm looking to defend muscle glycogen or practice, uh, the, the race day specifics, I'll be doing a combinations of S fuels race plus, and something that has a polarizing flavor profile to that. So something usually savory, salty, crunchy is kind of the nice, uh, blend for that. And, and sometimes depending on the race, if it's something where it's like a track ultra, where I can, I bring essentially everything I'm going to eat, then I'll maybe get a little more strategic, uh, in terms of what I want. If it's a race where there's going to be a lot of aid station navigation, like at a trail race, and I won't have as much options of my own stuff. Sometimes I'll just take a look and see what they have on the aid station tables and practice with things I know that will be available frequently on the course. So again, I'm ready to kind of use that product when, when the time becomes, I'm generally targeting somewhere in the neighborhood during these like longer runs and training 20 to 30 grams of carbohydrate per hour. If I'm trying to practice race day fueling during the race itself, I'll flex that up to close to 40 grams at times. Uh, especially if it's a goal, a race that I'm really trying to, trying to nail and that just kind of puts me in a position to kind of be able to practice, like I said, practice my race day fueling strategy while I'm in training. The, the other thing that I will consider when it comes to fueling or not fueling in workouts is again, with the long run. So I actually like to divide my long runs into kind of two categories where category one is kind of like my field, my fat adaptation field test. And then category two is what I just described is that race day fueling strategy. So usually a little bit earlier on in the plan, when I'm first starting to develop the long run, I'll go out with just water and electrolytes and, you know, aim for a three to five hour run and just gauge kind of how I feel throughout that. If I feel like my energy levels are consistent throughout, if I feel like maybe I'm even getting stronger near the end of the run, that's a pretty good indication to me. If I'm just using water and electrolytes and staying hydrated, that my fat adaptation is where it needs to be in order to maximize that side of the equation on race day. And that's kind of a sign to me that, okay, now I'm ready to start practicing race day fueling strategy and really fine tuning that, or just confirming that what worked last time is still going to work for me this next time. Uh, let's see, what else did he have in there that I missed? I think maybe we got it all. Um, other preparation stuff is just kind of like or kind of cooling down from a run or being prepared for what's coming next. 
So with every big workout merits recovery, and that's how you get better. Everyone or not everyone, I should say people oftentimes think, okay, I got to do this big workout and that's, what's going to make me faster. That's, what's going to make me stronger in reality. That's, what's going to break you down. It's what you do after it. That makes you faster and stronger. So making sure you're staying on top of things like refueling adequate amounts of protein, getting rehydrated, you know, staying on top of anything that kind of feels like it's maybe getting sensitive uh, through proper, like stretching mobility and foam rolling type stuff are all things that I'll kind of include in the interim between workouts, as I'm kind of bouncing back from one to the next, I'll do some hot, cold exposure. So like ice, ice chests or ice, ice baths, and then sauna type things. If I have my workouts kind of blocked where I'm trying to get from one hard session to the next, Usually though, if I get to a point where I just put in a big training session or a couple big training sessions, and now I have a day or two where I'm primarily, if not entirely focusing on recovery, I'm going to maybe stay away from that stuff a little more because at, that's the point where I kind of want the inflammatory process to kind of take place and allow my, my body to actually heal and get stronger for that next session versus just trying to get myself uh, feeling the best possible for whatever session I'm doing next. I understand there's other purposes for those things like cold plunges and saunas and things like that outside of just like the inflammatory process. But, uh, I'm looking at that just purely through that lens right now. Uh, so yeah, those are some things that I do. I'm sure there's, there's a ton more too. I could keep going. I could probably do a whole episode on this particular question, but I'll, I'll leave it at that for now. And then if, if, if Alex or anyone is intrigued about something that I glossed over or missed, uh, feel free to shoot that over and I'll include it in a future Q and a topic based episode. Next question is from Albert and Albert asks, he says, I'm a 53 year old runner and have been running consistently since 1993. I got my first ever injury this month, a torn medial meniscus. I'm having surgery to clean it up. Recovery is four to six weeks. How do you recommend an aging runner come back and stay healthy? This is a really good question. As I think there's going to be some crossover here between just an injured runner returning and then there'll be a little extra nuance for someone who's maybe a little older and just has a little bit of a higher likelihood of possibly re-injuring or maybe a little bit of a slower ramp up into the return versus, you know, someone in their twenties who can just be a little more resilient and bounce back from things a little, a little quicker. And, and sometimes that offers a, an opportunity to be a little more aggressive on the return, but generally speaking, I think there's some rules that will apply to everyone, regardless of age in this type of situation. So four to six weeks off is enough time where you are going to want to be very mindful of where you're at versus where you were. Uh, that's like a su substantial enough downtime or off season where there's going to be a little bit of playing around in the early stages, just identifying kind of where your current fitness is at, what's the proper training load for you now versus where it maybe was before that injury. Or for someone like Albert, who's been running since 1993, you've normalized your workload that you're able to do when you're healthy and uninjured. So your mind is likely still there and it's going to want to be there. <laughs> if I, if I can imagine if you've been running since 1993, you've got a pretty strong mental drive to be out there participating in, in the sport of running. So there's no doubt in my mind that Albert, when you take that first return run back after recovery, you're going to want to probably go a little further, a little harder than what your body's quite ready for. So usually what I recommend is whatever you think is appropriate, 
give yourself some leeway to make it even easier yet. Because if you end up going too hard, too early, not only are you increasing your likelihood of re-aggravating, re-injuring what, what kind of sidelines you in the first place, but you're also kind of putting yourself in a situation where if you do too much too soon, you might just take future training off the table, end up doing less over the course of time anyway. So this is the time where you want to really broaden out your scope and say, all right, if this is where I want to be in say six months, I need to plan myself to gradually get there versus trying to get there really quickly. And, you know, that might mean a really short run to return uh, substantially less than what you've done before. You might even want to go out for a couple of runs where you don't have a goal of how far you're going to get. It's just, you know, I'm going to run and I'm going to stop if I feel like it's, uh, if I feel like I've gotten enough out of it, just really, really trust that if your body is saying, Hey, that's enough, that it means enough, even if it's like a drastic reduction of what you were able to tolerate on a normal day. You know, I remember when I got injured in 2017 and had to take a similar amount of time off, it was about seven weeks. Uh, when I came back, I was so surprised at just how ill adapted my body was to the act of running. And one thing that really stuck out in my mind was it was, I had a stress fracture. So it was, uh, it was a weight bearing stuff. I had to completely take off weight bearing, which becomes a challenge when you return to running because even flat running is going to have some eccentric contraction and some load bearing to it. So if you completely remove that for, you know, almost two months, like I did, you know, even an easy run is going to generate some soreness that would definitely not be there in the past. And I remember, I think I went out for like a five or six mile run. And the next day I was like, why are my quads sore? <laughs> like I didn't run downhill. I didn't run any speed or anything like that. And really it was just, you know, my body needed to readapt to it. So that was a really good sign for me personally, because I realized then it's like, okay, this is where I'm at now. And I need to be mindful of that and make sure that I am progressively coming back at a pace that's easy enough and slow enough so that I don't re-aggravate something, injure something else, or just generally be miserable because I'm always overreaching relative to what I'm ready for. So listen to those cues that you've likely gotten really accustomed to over the, in your case, Albert, decades of running and know if your body says, yeah, I'm sore, I'm tired from that session, ignore how little of a stimulus it may have been and answer that call that your body's giving you. And then just kind of keep I like to call it micro stressing, micro stressing your way back up. You'll likely get returned back to where you were faster than, than it would if you had just started or something like that, or had to take more time off. Uh, Cause you do have a big historic foundation in place. It's not like it all goes away. You're just going to mostly need to kind of readapt a lot of that uh, skeletal muscle and those impact forces are going to need to be kind of easily reintroduced versus getting back drastically. So don't be hard on yourself. Uh, if it's a lot less from what, than what you're used to and set those small goals to give you some motivation to target something as you're kind of returning for me too. I think like, I mean, you'll likely be working with a physical therapist or a doctor or someone who's going to help you with the return to, uh, just any type of rehabilitation. So I'm probably not your primary expert in that case, but I would imagine with something that's knee related, uh, some strengthening of the area around it's going to be part of that program. So finding a way to really kind of bolster the muscles kind of around that knee is likely going to be something that's going to be a good tool for you to have in place, even when you do return to running and get that kind of clean bill of health. 
So for me personally, I really like a lot of the programming for knee strength that uh, the that Ben Patrick and Athletic Truth Group do. And one thing I know those guys would say, especially in this situation, would be pushing and pulling exercises uh, specifically. So like a sled would be a perfect way to do this. If you have access to that, like pulling that sled and pushing that sled is going to be really friendly on the, on the impact there, but really good at strengthening that area. Another thing you can do from the running side of things as well, that may ease that transition back is a bit more uphill running. And maybe that means a treadmill for a while. So you don't have to come back down, which is going to give you a bigger uh, impact or bigger, bigger load on that area by coming down the hill. But if you're able to do more uphill stuff, especially if it has any speed work, once you do get some foundation back and decide, Hey, I'm going to do some speed work. I would definitely start that on an uphill. Uh, you're going to get all that, those benefits of, of pushing hard, but you're going to really lower that impact and strengthen that area in your knee around your knee that, that you're going to want to have ready to go when you get back to full steam. Uh, but thanks for sharing that question, Albert. Uh, last question is, hi, Zach. I'm not sure if this is the proper channel for submitting questions for the podcast, but I was hoping you may have a chance to talk about preparation for athletes from other sports who want to run ultras. I'm not an experienced runner, but I'm preparing to make an attempt at deadlifting 500 pounds and running 50 miles in one day. I started training at super training gym for the strength portion of the equation, but I'm figuring out the running part myself and any input would be very appreciated. And that comes in from James Pirat. All right, James. Well, first of all, you are at the right place at super training gym for something like this. So for those of you who've been listening to all the episodes, you'll remember I had Mark Bell, who is the owner of the super training gym in Sacramento on the show. And one of the reasons I wanted to talk to Mark was because Mark is a power athlete. He is a former record holder in the bench press. He's been power lifter, bodybuilder. He's definitely more towards that side of sport. Uh, but he's a curious guy and he got interested in running a while ago and he did a 50 mile himself. So uh, as a, as a person who I think could have probably, I'm not sure if he tried to deadlift that day, but if he had, I'm sure he probably could have done 500 pounds and then done that 50 miler. So he's probably got some, some nuggets of information that would be very useful, especially around the mindset of it all, I would imagine. And, and he'll get you to that, that weightlifting side of it for sure. I think with the training side, the way I would look at this from, from the running part of the 50 mile part of it is you want to look at this through the lens of that 500 pound deadlift is going to be a, a objective that is going to somewhat contradict the 50 mile training stuff. So getting overly adapted to one versus the other is going to have a bit of pull from each other. So if you decided I'm going to do all sorts of running and focus on running the way I do, then that's going to likely come at the expense of your deadlift. But if you just sit in the gym all day and deadlift, then it's going to come at the expense of running. If you're not doing any running or unable to do the running workouts, cause you go too hard on that side. So you do want to kind of be a bit of a Jack of all trades with this one. And the way I would do that is I would eliminate a lot of the running that would end up being catabolic. That isn't necessarily a key session. So normally when I'm setting up a training plan, 
we're working on some form of volume progression throughout the plan or targeting specific amounts of volume because that's going to optimize the person for running specifically. Since you're not trying to maximize running specifically, we can remove a lot of that. So usually a plan that I make is going to have somewhere in the neighborhood of two to three quality sessions per week. And the rest of the runs are going to kind of be easy foundational runs or recovery runs and rest days. So what I would likely do if I were you, James, is I would eliminate almost all of those and focus just on the key sessions. So that might mean like working on some speed work uh, at certain points of the preparation. If for those who listen a fair bit, they'll recognize my, my philosophy for some of these longer things like ultra marathons is doing the least specific things first and the most specific things last and kind of build towards it. So that might mean you're going to be doing some of the speed work a little more heavily early on in the plan and being a little bit lighter on long run development. And I do think that is going to be a workout you do want to include is a long run during the week or a long walk run. Usually my general word of advice with the long run is if you can target race day intensity, when you're doing ultras on those, that can be a good target for a good chunk of your long runs. It's your opportunity to really practice race day specifics. So you would, I would probably have you on like a three at most four day per week running program. And it would be, it would, it would be a progression of the long run development where at the end of that, like when you get to the point where you're maybe two weeks out from your project, Uh, you're going to be doing your biggest long runs. You're going to be focusing most of your training load from the running side of things on that. But then early in the plan, if you don't have a running background, some foundational work will likely be useful early on. So you might just be doing some, what I would call kind of like easy to high end of easy intensity runs just to kind of build that foundation that you can do some speed work off of. And, you know, usually eight to 12 weeks of that is going to be plenty. And then you can start kind of getting into some of the specific speed work and working towards that kind of goal, long run build, build. So it might look something like this, like after you have that foundation built, you might spend a couple days during the week for say four to six weeks doing short intervals. I like to call short intervals, anything from 30 seconds to four minutes. And for those, I think a one-to-one ratio of work to rest is going to be a good target. And you're going to get some pretty good adaptation to that over four to six week window of time. And once you kind of do that, then kind of transition a little bit closer. So then I would like to go to longer intervals, which are just going to be a little bit more close to like a moderate intensity versus a higher intensity, like you'd have with the shorter intervals. And those I like to kind of range from about eight to 20 minutes in length. And if it gets to 20 minutes or longer, then I just usually have it be like a tempo run or something that's a continuous workout versus a broken up interval one. But if you're going to do the intervals for these ones, since they're a bit longer and they're a little bit lower intensity in the short ones, you're better to do a two to one work to rest ratio. So let's say you decide to do 10 minute long intervals. You'd want to do 10 minutes on five minutes off, 10 minutes on five minutes off. And your target intensity for that should be a pace that you could sustain. If you were to go all out in a race setting for like 45 to 60 minutes, that's kind of the goal target intensity for those. Uh, once you spend maybe four to six weeks, kind of developing that on a couple sessions per week, then I think it's time to really start focusing in on the long run and developing like what it is you're going to probably be doing on that day with that 50 miler. If you want to be really generous with yourself and give yourself the full 24 hours, um, or actually it'd probably technically be like 23 hours and some minutes. Cause you got to get that deadlift in there somewhere. Definitely do the deadlift first. If I were you, 
just don't hurt yourself doing the deadlift. And, and I think you'll be fine in doing the 50 miles, but that gives you a lot of time. Uh, this is one thing I talked to Mark about when he did his was, you know, if you're, you could walk a pretty slow pace and get 50 miles done in a day. So I think a lot more people could actually complete 50 miles than likely believe that, that they can. It's just a matter of kind of getting out there and doing it. And then the question becomes how well prepared are you for it? And, and that's likely going to be you know, something that drives your result or drives how fast you're able to do it as well as kind of your experience after it you know, these longer efforts, like 50 miles, there's a certain amount of soreness and discomfort and recovery that you're going to need, regardless of how hard you push or how well-trained you are, but the better you're prepared for the, usually the smoother, the recovery phase is going to be afterwards versus just saying like, Hey, I'm going to do 50 miles one day and not really preparing for it at all. That's going to make a scenario where you're going to likely have a much longer ramp back to feeling like you can start your training again afterwards. Uh, but yeah. So the long run development, you definitely want to start from where you're at with this. So like take whatever the longest run you have done historically, or even if it's not a run, if it's a hike or a walk, and then also look, kind of compare that to what's the longest thing you've done in the last like eight weeks or so, and come up with like a reasonable target to start with where over the course of the plan, you can kind of slowly start to build it up early on. Although you'd want to be mindful early in the plan when you're focusing on those short intervals and those long intervals and tempo runs that those are still taking the primary focus in terms of what you're trying to do. And don't get too crazy with the long run early because you will have a block of training near the end where you're going to be focusing primarily on that and nearly eliminating some of that speed work in order to kind of absorb that training load for uh, the longer stuff uh, as you prepare for it. But I wouldn't go more than one per week in this situation because for one, your goal isn't to run 50 miles as fast as you can. Your goal is to be able to deadlift 50 or 500 pounds and complete the 50 miler. So for this particular situation, I think a solo long run versus a back-to-back long run is going to be perfectly fine. It's going to put you in a position where you have one less day where you're doing a very catabolic activity, which is going to be kind of the inverse of what you're looking for from your deadlift progression. So uh, you could build that up, but I would, if you start getting up to like some pretty long, long runs where I would put it like in maybe the five hour range, then I would be very careful about how hard you're pushing during any one of those sessions. You know, once you start getting up to those longer, long runs like that, like three, four or five hours, you're looking at a situation where really there's not a whole lot of incentive to go much faster than what you'd be planning on doing on race day, especially when you're in that like final six weeks or so before the event or race itself. Uh, so yeah, that's kind of how I would, how I'd break it down. But James, let me know if I missed the intent of your question or if other folks want more or different information around that specific topic, feel free to shoot me a note for all these question and topic-based episodes, I, I tend to keep, uh, just keep track of questions that come in throughout the course of the week through all sorts of channels, whether it comes in through social media or email, you can reach out to me on any of those platforms. Uh, Instagram is at Zach bitter. Twitter is at Z bitter. And, uh, my email for this podcast is HPO podcast at gmail.com. So send those over if you have them. All right. Last thing with this episode is a sample day that I'm trying to reintegrate into these, these solo episodes. So for this sample day, 
the workout that I did was a solo run day. So I didn't do a two a day run for this particular day and I did it in the morning. So I, it was first thing in the morning and I went 15.45 miles. And this one had a bit of some structured speed work in it. And that was a four by five minutes hard in the middle. Uh, PM was a strength session. So I did some push pull exercises on the treadmill. So for those of you who were, are curious about this, you know, there's sleds are kind of the gold standard in my opinion here. Like if you have access to a sled where you can push and pull it, that's going to be the easiest way to do this type of a movement, but gyms don't often have sleds and most people don't have sleds. So sometimes you got to kind of find a workaround in order to do this one. The thing that I found is that my gym currently, they have these manually powered treadmills and they're not only manually powered. You can actually adjust, adjust the tension. So what I do is I get on that and I just turn the tension as high as it can get. So that, so that uh track is, pr- provides quite a bit of resistance. And with that, since they have like a little bit of a handle cage around it, I'm able to lean kind of the way you would when you're pushing or pulling a sled, but push that resisted track on that treadmill, uh, backwards and forwards. So I try to focus on both the push and the pull. So that was the first strength session I did. I did a push pull on the treadmill. I did three, three rounds of about 20 seconds for both pushing and pulling on that one. Um, next was I did some weighted tibialis raises. Then I did some cable squats, some seated calf raises, hanging leg lifts, and some cable twists for a little bit of a kind of core work at the end there. So that was kind of a lower body core day. Uh, nutrition for that day was 6am. I was up and I had a cup of coffee with two tablespoons of heavy whipping cream, one tablespoon of honey and one scoop. The, this was separate from the coffee and the heavy whipping cream and honey, but I also had a scoop of athletic greens and two drops of their D3K2 tincture and half a packet of chocolate element and that I actually did mix in with the, with the coffee. Then I did that workout that I described before the running one and got back and post run meal was six eggs, one cup of shredded cheese, a quarter cup of salsa, two medium potatoes at uh, 12 PM. I did bring in a snack for this particular day. Cause I had a pretty big output with the longer or the longish moderate longish run. And then a strength session later that day. So at noon I had, uh, I had a smoothie that I made with one cup of blueberries, one cup of strawberries, two scoops of S fuels train, which is kind of like a fat based powder, um, eight ounces of milk blended it all up. And that was that smoothie, uh, 6 PM. I had one pound of ground beef, one cup of broccoli steamed, one cup of spinach steamed, one large beet steamed two ounces of, of cheese and one cup of yogurt. And that capped off that day. So that was a a sample day of workouts, sample day of nutrition for what I would call a kind of a little bit of a speedier or higher intensity day, as far as that those go for, for me as an ultra marathon runner. All right, folks, thanks for tuning in to this solo episode. Again, if you have any questions or topics that you'd like me to hit on for these episodes, do send me a note. I'm targeting doing at least two, but up to four of these per month. So I'm looking for likely four interview episodes per month and two to four solos. So we're targeting six to eight uh, per month. uh, This year is one of the the goals. So if you have those, send them my way. 
Also, if you enjoyed the show, please subscribe on your favorite podcast listening platform or YouTube and share it with your friends and family members and help uh, help me grow, grow the show. All right, folks, until next time, this is the Human Performance Outliers podcast with your host, Zach Bitter. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast with Zach Bitter. All right, folks, if you are interested in adding some structure to your training program, I have some options that might interest you. Over on my website, ZachBitter.com, I have a wide range of ready-made plans that have options for beginners to advanced endurance athletes. I also have personalized plan options where I will cater a plan specific to the event you are preparing for and your personal schedule and training availability. You can also access a variety of add-on options from email collaboration to consultation calls to help guide you through your training and nutrition needs. You can access these with or without a formal plan. So head over to ZachBitter.com and let me know what you think.